0: How you doing? Sam Tolley. For the past three weeks, I've been discussing the basic question, was Martin Luther King Jr. a Christian? And I was using documents he wrote in college. Um, The second document was this one. What experiences of Christian living In the early Christian century led to the Christian doctrines of the divine sonship of Jesus, the virgin birth and the resurrection. Now, in this document so far, the following things Dr. King had to say concerning the Apostles Creed, he said, but in the minds of many sincere Christians, this creed has planted a seed of confusion, which has grown into an oak of doubt. They see this creed as incompatible with all scientific knowledge, and so they have proceeded to reject its content. Uh, Concerning the sonship of Jesus, one of the things Dr. King had to say in his article was, St. Paul and the early church followers could have never come to the conclusion that Jesus was divine. If there had not been some uniqueness in the personality of the historical Jesus, what brought Jesus into life was a new personality. And those who came under its spell were more and more convinced that he with whom they had walked and talked in Galilee could be nothing less than a divine person. And in the um, virgin birth, one of the things he said, this second doctrine in our discussion posits the virgin birth. This doctrine gives the modern scientific mind much more trouble than the first, for it seems downright improbable and even impossible for anyone to be born Without a human father. Now, nowhere in this article or the previous article um, does Dr. King present a biblical defense of the sonship of Jesus Christ or the virgin birth. And for that matter, this last doctrine uh, we're going to discuss in this article. He doesn't present a biblical defense for the resurrection either. Um, When I read the the previous article that I laid out for Dr. King, and this article, it seems to be quite clear that his theology was based on another Jesus not the biblical one. Um, His writing seems to be void of any recognition of the supernatural. It's all basically based on human understanding and and the natural events of of this world. And Christianity, absent the supernatural, just doesn't exist biblically. And I've never disputed his position as a great civil rights leader. And I think that is where his strength lies in recognizing or trying to help his fellow man be better men from a humanistic perspective. But biblically speaking, he didn't lay any kind of foundation. I hope to lay somewhat of a defense for the resurrection in this last section that I will read out that he wrote in this article or this this paper and I'll, I'll repeat what I've said previously concerning the sonship of Jesus Christ concerning uh, the Apostles Creed concerning uh, the virgin birth if someone wants to give me documentation from dr King where he changed his theological positions later in life because like I said this is when he was in um, seminary I' You know, I welcome it. And I will get on this platform and present that documentation or that evidence uh, or that sermon or whatever. Uh, I'm not here to disparage anyone. All I want to do is lay out the facts as I see them and have them and always present a defense for the faith that I have. So let's look at this last one. And it really was only like two paragraphs. The last doctrine in our discussion deals with the resurrection story. This doctrine upon which the Easter faith rests symbolizes the ultimate Christian conviction that Christ conquered death. Now, this is the ultimate Christian conviction. The fact that we believe Christ conquered death. If, If he didn't conquer death, then... He was just a great guy. But as our contention at the Bible states that not only did he conquer death, that he made the way for us to conquer it as well through his blood and his sacrifice. Um, From a literary historical and philosophical point of view, this doctrine raises many questions. I'm going to read through this and maybe I'll come back before I give you my um, stuff. In fact, external evidence for the authenticity of this doctrine is found wanting. But here again, the external evidence is not the most important thing. For it is itself, for it in itself fails to tell us precisely the thing Most of us want to know. I thought we want to know that he conquered death. I thought we wanted to know if it was true. What experiences of early Christians lead to the formation of the doctrine? The root of our inquiry is found in the fact that the early Christians had lived with Jesus. They had been captivated by the magnetic power of his personality. That reminds me, what he wrote earlier about they were like under his spell. This basic expertise, excuse me, this basic experience led to the faith that he could never die. I don't remember reading anything in scripture that said he could never die. Even when he was telling the disciples about his pending death. Or, you know, people were upset. But I don't remember reading anything about them saying that he can never die. Now, the Muslim faith believed that he never died. They believe right now, I believe, if I if I believe they believe that he's in heaven waiting to bring back the, the next amen or amen. Excuse me. I'm not trying to say it wrong. I didn't think this part over or look it up. But anyway. My understanding is they believe that somebody else died and they made it look like it was Jesus. And so in the pre-scientific thought pattern of the first century, this inner faith took outward form. But it must be remembered that before the doctrine was formulated or, ev- or the event occurred, which event is this? The resurrection or his death? He's not clear. The early Christians had had a lasting experience with Jesus. They had come to see that the essential note in the fourth gospel is the ultimate force in Christianity the living, deathless person of Christ. They expressed this in terms of the outward, but it was an inner experience that led to its expression. That's the end. Frankly, I am a little confused by what he was trying to say. I have to go back and think about the earlier part of the article and his position against the uh, Apostles' Creed, his position against the sonship of Jesus, his position against the virgin birth to come to the clear idea that He really doesn't believe in the resurrection because this is sort of gobbledygook, this section by itself. But if I bring the whole thing in context, it seems that he has a lot of doubt concerning the validity of the resurrection. So let me go through and look at my (laughs) biblical support for the resurrection. Now, he says early on, the last doctrine in our discussion deals with the resurrection story. This doctrine upon which the ether face rests symbolizes the ultimate Christian conviction that Christ conquered death. Yes, I agree with that. But from the literary, historical, and philosophical point of view, this doctrine raises many questions. Okay, it raises questions. In fact, the eternal evidence for the authenticity of the doctrine is found wanting. I don't think so. I think there's a lot of evidence here for that. Let's look at first what Jesus had to say himself. There are many points of scripture where Jesus told his disciples about what he planned. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 22 and 23, when they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. They may not fully understand about the resurrection at that point, but they understand what they're going to kill him means. I mean, why would they be filled with grief? I mean, they got that. And, you know, when they did kill him, they didn't stick around. Matter of fact, they didn't stick around before they killed him. They fled. Once he got arrested, all of them, they ran like chickens with their heads cut off. Now, and this is recorded, why would the same people who later on record the Bible uh, record the fact that they ran away? Who wants to admit that they were a coward? Especially Peter, when he denied him three times. Excuse me. So this is Jesus... In the book of Matthew, the Matthew testimony about Jesus predicting his death. There are several other passages where he predicts his death. Clearly, matter of fact, I'll go to one in John. Actually, this one in John is my favorite. Hold on a second. Because this one in John. It's one of my favorite verses or series of verses to use when I'm talking to Jehovah witnesses. And this is John uh, chapter two, verses 18 through 22. Let me get back to the first part. And I'll tell you why Jehovah witnesses believe that when Jesus was crucified, he did not rise from the dead in the same body. They believe that his body either went off to some memorial or turned into gases or whatever. The story has changed a little bit throughout the years, but the one thing that they are consistent in is their unbelief that he was resurrected in the same body that was crucified. They say that he made bodies to, and this is what's crazy. They say that he created bodies for the disciples to see to convince them that he was resurrected, but they disconnect what they're really saying because what they're actually saying is if he made a temporary body just to convince the disciples that he did raise from the dead, but it wasn't the resurrected body, then they're actually telling people that Jesus lied these disciples that he deceived them now they'll never say that and they don't think that but they're not thinking through what they're saying Now, when we go through what john said jesus was having a discussion with the jews matter of fact we want to call it a discussion there was he was having a big time argument with these people you know and jesus had went and cleaned out the temple they were selling junk they were making a mess they were they were they were hawking pigeons and doves or whatever, and, and and in God's house, and he went off. That's when he made a cord uh, of of, um, of um, a whip, and he started beating these people and turning over the money changers and throwing their money on the floor, and he just went off on people. Just just loving Jesus that people say never raises his voice and never says a bad thing about people. He went off. And so these people said hey, what's with this? So the Jews, then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do this? I mean, what gives you the right? To do this, and Jesus gave them the ultimate sign. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days, I will raise it up. Or, like it says here, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Now, they were at the temple, right? Where he's tearing up everything, and they're they're not stupid but they didn't get what he was saying at first. (laughs) The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it up in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. This is John clarifying what's going on. Jesus saying, kill me. And in three days, I'm coming back. You want a miraculous sign? That's your sign. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. Then they got it. See, so these guys are thinking Jesus talking about destroying this big old temple that it took 46 years to build. But he's talking about destroying his body. John doesn't say that he was pretending. John doesn't say that he was going to raise up a temporary body like these Jehovah Witnesses like to say. Jesus said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I'm going to raise it up. And the disciples Remembered what he said, and after he was raised from the dead, then they believed it. They believed what the scripture said. Did they believe that Jesus raised up a temporary body? No, they believed that the same person that was crucified came back alive. That's what they believed, and that's what Jesus was telling them, guys. He gave them that sign. So, um, now, of course, the Jews don't necessarily have to believe that Jesus came back alive, but this is just the second part of the evidence that I want to present, biblically speaking, for the resurrection. I'm talking about those people right there didn't have to believe it. So let's continue. So that was John, but let's go and look at Peter's Let's look at Peter's um, testimony. Now, this is fascinating. See, in the day of Pentecost, remember Peter? Peter was this guy that used to talk all kinds of stuff. You know, he would raise all kind of hell. He would be all, you know, Peter was a cussing guy, this, that, and the other. Peter's the guy that cut off um, the ear. Of a servant of the uh, the high priest, and Jesus healed it. Peter was the guy that told Jesus, you know, when Jesus wanted to wash their feet, uh, no, I don't want you to wash my feet. And Jesus said, I, I had nothing to do with you. And then he said, Well, go on and wash all over me. <laughs> you know, Peter was just a rambunctious dude, and Peter was the guy that said, I will never, ever forsake you, and what did he do? Jesus said before the crow, uh, you know, crows twice, you're gonna um, deny me three times? And Peter denied him three times. But after the resurrection, after he was restored, After all the dudes, like I said, they all ran away. Remember? When Jesus got arrested, they all ran away. They didn't want to get arrested. They know that uh, the high priests and the guards and all wanted to get rid of Jesus. And by the way, it wasn't just the Jews that were offended with Jesus. You had the Herodians who were, uh, I would say, you can say they were the elite the political class, the King Herod and his group and all their followers and stuff. They, you know, they were sick of John the Baptist. They were sick of Jesus. They, these were troublemakers. And you had the Romans who were in control of all that stuff. They were sick of them. They didn't want to be bothered. The Romans just wanted peace and quiet. The Jews by themselves gave them enough trouble. Here come this new sect, these Christians, this, This this Jesus after John, the guy that was, you know, wearing camel's clothes and and dunking folks in the Jordan River and raising all kind of hell, talking crazy about Herod and 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 his adulterous relationship with his brother's wife. You know, so Herod cut his head off. So so the Jews, the Jews, the Herodians, the the, the Romans, Jesus was a problem. To all those people, so when the disciples got the, you know, when Jesus got arrested, it was like I mean, them jokers. They ran and scattered because they knew they a whole lot of people didn't like him. That's why one of the things when, uh, uh you know, Peter, some lady was saying, "Hey, ain't you one of them Galileans?" know, not me. He denied him stuff because he knew everybody was after his skin too. But after the resurrection. After these folks saw that Jesus was alive, they didn't care no more. They didn't care. You do what you want to do with us. And see, this brings into a very special point of emphasis I want you to understand. There have been many people that have died believing a lie. That have stood up for a lie. Going back to Jehovah's Witnesses they were told that you can't have blood transfusions. blood transfusions was like eating blood to them, which is not your circulatory system and your digestive system are, are completely two different systems. You know, a blood transfusion isn't eating meat with blood in it, but many Jehovah witnesses have died because they wouldn't take the transfusion. So many of those folks died Believing a lie. But we're talking about disciples who said they saw the risen Christ and each and every one of them were martyred except for John. And I think he was boiled in oil for whatever reason. He didn't, he didn't get a chance to die and they, you know, stuck him on the island in Patmos. I guess that was his way of being uh, censored or or the big tech was shutting him up or whatever back in that day. But all of them, all of them died because they were steadfast in their support and belief and determination to spread the gospel that Jesus Christ, not only was God, the son, but he died on the cross and he rose from the dead three days ago. And they witnessed it. People like I said, people will die for a lie that they believe, but people will not knowingly die for a lie that they know is a lie. Why would you do that? Why would they do that? The same folks that ran away when he got arrested. Why'd they run away? Because they figured, hey, there was no hope left. We thought this was going to be the Messiah. We thought this was going to be the person that's going to bring in the new millennium, the new dawn get get the Romans off our back. But he's gone. They've got him. And so they didn't have nothing there to hang with no more, but when he came back from the dead, it changed them. So getting into that in Acts chapter two, you know the Bible says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then saw, excuse me, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. As the Spirit enabled him, and this wasn't Babylon and on like we see a lot of stuff here. The Bible goes on. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked are not all these men who are speaking uh, uh, Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hear them in his own native tongue? Parthians, Mede, uh, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia, excuse me, uh, Pontus in Asia, Pygera, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Day of Pentecost, God Miraculously, was broadcasting the gospel to everyone out there in every language that they can hear. So it reminds you when the second coming of Jesus, they said everybody will know He's here. Everybody will recognize what's what being said too. Now there's always these shysters around. Like I said, there were enemies of Christ. He said some, however, made fun of them and said. They have had too much wine. Well, Peter came to say, "Hey, it's early in the morning. Folks ain't drunk." But even though there's going to be jokers that's going to say stupid stuff like that, there were too many witnesses that heard what was said in different languages, all at the same time. Now check out what Peter said when he started his sermon after. He, he defended the speaking in the multiple times of uh, tongues talking about this was a prophecy being fulfilled. I believe uh, from the, uh, yeah, from the prophet Joel about God spreading his spirit on all men and stuff like that. But let's go to what Peter had to say in Acts chapter two, verses 22 through 24, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, was a man accredited by God to you by miracles wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourself know he just sit over here to talk about well you know uh let me tell you about this guy Jesus he did all this different stuff all these no he said you know it you guys already know it. It wasn't done in secret. The miracles, the wonders, and the signs, they knew it. He said, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and for knowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him him to the cross but God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him now don't you think with all the Herodians all the Jews that hated Jesus and Christianity and all the the Romans that wanted peace and quiet they could have poo-pooed this they could have laughed this out and, and, and that would have been the end of it if they could prove that Jesus was still dead. And they could not. There was a guard placed on the tomb, whether it was Romans or whether it was the high priest's guard. There was a seal placed on the tomb. The guards were knocked out by angels I assume, the stone was rolled, the body was gone. The testimony of the women who said they saw him, that Peter saw him, the angels in the tomb. Nobody can refute any of this stuff. And it was incumbent upon the high priest and all those folks to make sure after, they knew that the prophecy was that he was gonna rise in three days. You don't think them people were going to make sure could nobody come out of that thing in three days? Of course it was. And if these people had knowledge of, of anything, them moving a body or anything, they would have exposed the fraud if it was a fraud. They didn't have nothing to expose. Nothing. And let's go back you know, when when um Mr. Dr. King he says something else interesting here. Let's see, they came to see that the essential note in the fourth gospel is the ultimate force of Christianity, whatever that means. The living, deathless person of Christ. They express this in terms of the outward. But it was an inward experience that led to its expression, the central note. Well, I took another look at the fourth gospel, the Gospel of John, and there's many things that can be said about the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is the number one as a defense of the sonship of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know, the Gospel of John is the one that we read earlier in 2 John 18 through 22, where Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. Dr. King doesn't present one biblical reference to support his position. Not one. And you know what? In this this paper, I believe um, this... um, is this the one? I think he got an A minus. Yeah, there it was. This guy, Unbalanced King, shows himself willing to abandon scriptural literalism. Remain. I don't. I don't think this was the uh, teacher that wrote this. When it says he he shows himself to abandon scriptural literalism, remaining confident that this would not undermine the profound foundation of of the Christian doctrine. Davis committed. No. Well, maybe it was. Maybe it was. <clears throat> it says, examination of the Apostles' Creed. In this essay, King follows the book's structure and argument closely. When he discusses the probable influence of Greek mythology on Christian thought, Davis prize, is there any doubt about it? On balance, King shows himself willing to abandon scriptural literalism, remaining confident that this would be not undermine the profound foundation of the Christian doctrines davis commented well done and gave the paper an a minus i guess his professor didn't care about um biblical references either in uh, i don't know anyway let me go on and let's look at john let's look at a section of john here section that most people were pretty much familiar with you know we will talk about the story of doubting Thomas as we know him because when Jesus first appeared to the disciples Thomas wasn't there and um, I don't think Thomas was too much different than me or other people I mean, if you were one of the ones that ran away, you thought it was all dead, and everybody said, hey, we seen the Lord. I said, well, yeah, okay, right, you know. So Thomas said, now Thomas called Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, And put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side. I will not believe it. He said, I ain't believing nothing you guys got to say. You say all this stuff you want to. Then it goes on, says a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, let me stop for a second. I get these Jehovah, these people saying, now see, Jesus was the spirit. This is I told you it was a fake body. He just created something. Because they said the doors was locked, and all of a sudden Jesus was there. Well, you can go on the, the Gospel of Luke. I think it's in Luke chapter 39. It talks about they were um, in the room. Disciples, was it chapter 24? Hold on a second. Let me go there. Yeah. Verse. Yeah. Yeah, there was a chapter 24 starting in verse 36. They were all in the room, the disciples. Of course, this is the the room they're talking about that Thomas wasn't there. And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. They thought they saw a spirit then. You know, you know, that could have alluded for that Jehovah Witness thing where they like to say, no, he just created bodies to convince them that he was him. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost, or in some translations say a spirit, does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Another one of their favorite lines. No, he could not have had a resurrection because the Bible says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The apparatus is like its brain lock. Number one, the reference, I believe, to flesh and blood means the normal, uh, unregenerated or untranslated human body, like me. Like right now, making this video, I'm alive. You know, once I'm dead, then I can inherit the kingdom of God. Or if when Jesus comes back in a twinkle of an eye, everybody's changed instantly, then you can inherit the kingdom of God. I believe that is a reference point there. But they twist this scripture saying, no, flesh and blood. It doesn't say flesh and blood. It says flesh and bone. You have to keep remembering, flesh and bone. It says, look at my hands, verse 39. And my feet, it is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So either Jesus, you know, and when they said, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he said to them, do you have anything here to eat? <laughs> they gave him a piece of royal fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Now, I don't know if Jesus was really hungry right then or he just ate that to help them out. You know, let them know, hey, give me some food. I mean, to help out their memory. But anyway, so, so that was flesh and blood. And they were there and he told them that it was him. And of course they tried to tell this to Thomas and he didn't believe it because he wasn't there. But a week later, like I said, you know, he was talking about put his hand in my side. You know, if I don't put my hand this in into his side, I will not believe it. And a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord, And my God. Notice this. Notice this. Thomas said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. He was addressing Jesus, my Lord and my God. If Jesus was not Lord and God, that would be blasphemy. That would be blasphemy. And as a righteous rabbi, Jesus would have corrected him. What did Jesus do? He said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Jesus didn't correct him. Jesus didn't correct him because there was nothing to correct. He is his Lord and his God. And let me show you one other thing that I didn't show you earlier. And this is alluding back to my Jehovah witness friends, Jehovah witnesses claim that Jesus was crucified on a pole, not a cross, and that his hands were clasped and that there was a nail, like a singular nail put through his wrist, and then his feet were together. What did Thomas say early on when they said, we have seen the Lord? He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were, plural. Twice he's talking plural. You never see in a Jehovah witness depiction of the crucifixion on a straight up beam, more than one nail. That's just a little tidbit. Just keep that for future reference. When you start talking to these folks, they start talking that stuff about the cross as a pagan symbol. And remember, the Bible talks about that we need to pick up our cross and carry it and follow Jesus. Or if you'll say for the Jehovah's Witnesses the same. Oh, have you carried your torture stake around with you lately? So... John didn't have an issue with it. Uh, We saw where Matthew and where Peter testified to it. And Peter's testimony was in the book of uh, Acts, which is written by Luke. But let's go to the apostle Paul now. Let's see what he had to say. Concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul is very, it's very interesting what Paul says. You know, Paul, remember, Paul was the guy that said that I shouldn't even be an apostle. Well, here's going to tell you here. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses one through nine. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise, you have believed in vain. Isn't that interesting? why should he say if you hold firmly to him a lot of people like to say "Once saved always saved." i'm not going to get into that the bible talks about a great apostasy what is an apostasy it's a falling away so yeah if you're saved uh, nobody can take away your salvation but can you fall away well the bible says you can but let's not i'm not, i don't want to go there yet but i want to look at what paul says For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. 500 people. This is Paul talking about 500 people. And by the way, Paul's uh, letters were written before the Gospels were written. Paul's letters are believed to be written about, oh, let me see here, I think around 35 AD. Um, well, in this particular book, they think that Paul's Um, The book of Corinthians was written around 55 A.D. But it's generally the consensus is that Paul's epistles were written before the Gospels. Nevertheless, he's saying over 500 folks seen Jesus at one time. And here's a real significant part. Most of whom are still living. Here Paul is talking about, hey, wait a minute. A whole lot of folks seen him. A whole lot of folks seen the resurrected Jesus. A whole lot of them, and most of them are still alive. So you don't think the Herodians, the Greeks, and the Jews couldn't have stamped that out if that was a bunch of crap? Why do you think those folks, like I said, the, the disciples are willing to die? Because they seen that Jesus conquered death. And then Paul says, though some have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. Now, remember, Paul didn't know Jesus before the resurrection. The guy who wrote the most books in the Bible in the New Testament did not meet Jesus until that domestic road. You that something? The guy that was destroying the church, <clears throat> having people arrested, locked up, stood over there and held folks' clothes while they uh, stoned Stephen the deaf, the first martyr. I just showed you God can can use anybody. You know, the willing heart, he, he will use. He said... Uh, Like I said, then he appeared to James and all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Isn't that something? And Paul was killed too. He was martyred in Rome. But he spent the rest of his life writing, opening churches, witnessing, sharing the gospel. So people will not, like I said, people will not willingly die for a lie. And those people the enemies of Christ, they were uh, there was uh, a lot of them. And you're going to sit over here and boldly write a letter talking about 500 folks seeing Jesus at one time and most of them are still alive? And you're going to put that out there? And you don't think these people could have stamped that lie out? Could have proved it was all a bunch of hooey? Peter gets up there in front of thousands of people saying, this Jesus who you know? Did all this stuff? Man. The evidence, the biblical evidence was clear. And here we are, more than 2,000 years past that. And no one's been able to refute it. Oh, they try. They even make all kinds of different accusations. But, I mean, there were people like Simon Greenleaf, uh, a professor in Harvard, A Jew, I believe. His students were saying, from a legal perspective, could you use the evidence of the resurrection and dispute it? And when he read the evidence, like from a perspective of a lawyer, it converted him to a Christian because he said the evidence was overwhelming. The evidence for the historicity of the resurrection is overwhelming, there's too much information that can't be refuted. And here Dr. King, in his paper, uh, didn't support it. Didn't support the Sonship. Didn't support the virgin birth, didn't support the bodily resurrection. How can a person be a Christian and deny the basic biblical evidence? I don't know. I don't see how it's possible. The good thing is that for those of us that believe the biblical evidence, I think that we can rest assured. I think that we don't have anything to concern ourselves with as far as worrying about it being fraudulent. And I think that the evidence is so profound that when people try to mock us, tell them to disprove it. Show us where it's wrong. The problem with too many Christians these days are, and I'm not saying this is all Christians. I'm just saying there's a lot of people that they know what they believe. They just don't know why they believe it. Many of them, unfortunately, have what you call blind faith. Yeah, I believe the Lord. I believe this is the word of God. But they don't, they don't, they don't have substantive faith. They didn't, they don't take the time to really dig into the, the 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 Bible, the historicity, the prophecy, all the different tangibles lines of evidence that God has given us. The more you get into that, the more you dig into what the word says, the more you dig into the the evidence, the prophecies that have been fulfilled. The historicity, the locations and stuff that have been found. Like this is an archaeological Bible, which shows a di- many different places that the Bible uh, talked about that were found years later by archaeo- archaeologists. Excuse me. The more you learn stuff like that, the stronger it'll make your faith. The more it makes it evident to us that this is temporal whether we're having a great life here or a bad life here our joy should be in the lord and our joy should be in the fact that we realize that the day's going to come when we're going to meet him and like he said there's no more tears in heaven that it's going to in the parlance of this common day language, it's going to be all good, all good, all the time. So it's well worth it for the Christian to understand what's going on now. And not just for you. It's well worth it to understand. So you can share the gospel with other folks. Because Why would you want to not share the eternal riches and glory that God is going to lay out there for anyone who wants it if you have an opportunity to do it? There's enough room for everybody. But everybody's not going to come because everybody doesn't want it. But what about that person that may want it that you might be the person that could tell them about it? So it behoves you to be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have to let them know that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he loves them, that he has a place for them for eternity. Because the day is going to come for believers and non-believers alike that every knee will bend and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's going to be the saved and the unsaved alike, and it's better to be the saved that make that confession than the unsaved. This is Sam Tolly, and I'm out.